0: So hello and welcome. Happy Friday! Today's Friday, May the twenty-sixth, and this is Backyard Beekeeping: Questions and Answers, episode number two hundred and nine. I'm Frederick Dunn, and this is the Way to Bee. So I'm glad that you're here. If you haven't noticed already, we're out in the Way to be Academy building. The bees are buzzing in here. It sounds really good, smells really good, and it's nice and warm outside. So you might be wondering, how warm is it outside? Sixty-four degrees Fahrenheit. That's 18 celsius, light breeze, 3.6 miles per hour, 5.7 kilometers per hour. The relative humidity, this is key, is 47% right now. What's that mean? It means that your honeybees are going to have to humidify their hives. It's a little too dry in there. They prefer temps and humidity. The humidity should be up in the 60s. So what are they doing? They're bringing in water and that's why you need to provide fresh water for your bees. We have a nice earth pond and my water wall is under construction. If you want to know what we're going to talk about today, please look down in the video description below and don't forget to uh, subscribe if you're not already a subscriber, if you don't want to miss any other of these episodes. So all of the topics for today have been submitted over the past week and if yours did not make the list, maybe it's not something that I haven't already covered before very well and uh, maybe it's something that I don't feel would be interesting to the broader group of backyard beekeepers out there. So don't be flustered or don't feel like you've been rejected if your topic is not discussed. So what are we doing today? Uh, getting ready for Memorial Day weekend, three-day weekend here in the United States. And Monday that means a lot of people will be hanging their flags. And so. Just a little friendly reminder from a retired veteran that your flag goes up and comes down to half-mast until noon, and then you hoist it the rest of the way and enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. So remember those who've served. And uh, the very first question for today, we're going to get right into it, comes from Ryan, San Antonio, Texas. says, my strongest high this year has been using a single eight frame deep brood box since early spring with a queen excluder and hasn't swarmed or split. And they have over two deep supers of honey so far and are still going strong. About a month ago, I found a single closed queen cell in the middle of a brood frame in the same hive. And I removed it because I didn't want any chance of a swarm or botched seizure with my prize hive in the middle of a good nectar flow. Then yesterday I discovered a new queen cell with an egg in it, but no royal jelly. And the remnants of yet another queen cell that had been totally chewed open alongside the bottom, although we still found the, origi- the original queen alive, marked, and laying well. Okay, so there's some things, first of all. Uh, we know that when the queen lays an egg, the egg does sit in there dry. That's it. The queen stuck it to the bottom of the cell, takes about three days before that queen, uh, the egg that she's laid hatches. And when it does, that's when it releases a pheromone and that's when the bees start feeding it. That's why you don't see any liquid in there yet. So that's not that big a deal. But here's the thing, since you found the queen and they're making queen cells, they're on their way out. They've made a decision. They're going to go. So finding the queen means that you can head off a swarm. It also means that you can create a split, create a nucleus hive, would be my move on that one, uh, because she's going to go. You're taking your chances. If she's got genetics and traits and behaviors and everything else that you really like, collect your queen. Move her with some brood and leave the queen cells behind. I wouldn't smash them up. The other thing is the troubling part the chewed open queen cell that's there through the side. Sometimes a queen will chew through the side with competing queens. So the fact that your original queen is still in the hive is a puzzle so sometimes they don't always follow the order that we think they should but uh, because the queen herself will chew through the side and then find the pupa inside and sting her to death. That's what they do. It's what they're supposed to do to eliminate their competition. But then they built another cell I would take your queen out because you're going to lose them. Start a nucleus hive. That's my recommendation for that. And uh, because supercedure, I worry about losing my bees. So me personally, I would take it. Otherwise, you can let them swarm and let one of the new queens uh, hatch. Well, she'll emerge. They hatch out of their egg. They emerge out of their cells. And then uh, see how things go from there. Up to you, but I think you have two colonies on your hands now, they've decided. Question number two comes from Sam, Mount Vernon, South Dakota. I bought three packages of bees from TSC, one for each of my three kids. We received and installed them on the evening of the 10th of May and waited until the 22nd for the first inspection. So 12 days after install, not bad. I found two of the three hives to be booming with tons of capped and open brood. But the third hive had plenty of pollen and nectar, but only eggs and multiple eggs in each cell. Is it possible to have a laying worker already? And how can I fix this hive before losing the whole package? Okay, so for Sam, that is not a big deal in my opinion. So you've got two colonies that are doing extremely well. They're right on cue, they laid eggs right away. But I think what you have is a young queen. And the young queen took a little bit longer to get started laying, because she's in there. And uh, you find that she's laying eggs, uh, multiples in a cell that is characteristic often of a brand new mated queen that's just starting and uh, she'll smooth out later. And I think you're gonna find out everything is fine. Yes, it's too soon for them to have become laying workers in 12 days and start producing eggs. And by laying workers, for those who don't know, uh, all of the female bees in a hive, so that's the queen and that's the workers, uh, they have ovaries and uh, they can activate them in the absence of the queen. This is part of a eusocial structure within the bees. And eusocial means that some of these bees that are capable of reproduction, Uh, put aside that reproductive urge uh, to serve the queen. So for the betterment of the entire colony, in the absence of the queen, when her pheromone disappears, that's when uh, their ovaries begin to activate. And they don't have very many ovaries, so they're not like a queen. And uh, the other thing is, uh, worker bees that activate their ovaries have never mated before. Therefore, the eggs that they produce, if it happens, and this takes 21 days before they even get started doing that, in the absence of a queen. So once uh, they do activate and their ovaries start producing eggs, they've never mated, therefore, we have haploid eggs, which means that they're going to be drones only. But uh, I think you're fine. I think it's a young queen, just been mated, and uh, she's, she's too productive right now. And you didn't say where the eggs are, but I'm going to suspect that they're still at the bottom of the cell very common for a young queen that's just been mated. Moving on to question number three, Rob, Southern New Hampshire. I'm new to beekeeping and uh, I bought and installed a three pound package of bees on April 24th. I saw varroa on the bees. So I treated the hive with oxalic acid vapor before they capped their brood. The board below the hive was covered in mites after the treatment. I was hopeful that would be that until fall. However, i started to notice bees running around on the ground in the area around the hive that are confused. And many of them have stunted or damaged wings. Makes me think they have deformed wing virus and I'm trying to try an experimental treatment. Uh, but is there anything else I can do? Okay. First of all, Rob, wherever you got that package of bees, Please let the seller know that they came so loaded with mites that you could see them on the bees. Here's part of the problem with it. Other than the fact that they were mite loaded and you did the right thing, giving that uh, new colony a oxalic acid vaporization treatment and that mite drop after that treatment. Imagine if you never did it. Here's the other problem. Uh, The colony that they came from has been exposed to mites for a long time. It says it's a three-pound package, so we don't know what the workers came from because the workers and the queen may be completely separate stock. And some beekeepers who sell packages they also breed queens. They get their queens mated and they install them in packages. Bees that they're willing to get rid of. Not everyone has the greatest integrity when it comes to selling their bees. So, um, they loaded you up with worker bees that had mites on them. Not only that, advanced varroa likely vectored disease pathogens. One of the signs and it's not always the mite that causes deformed wing virus but high percentage of bees that have deformed wing virus have received that through mites and being that these are loaded with mites already and they're showing that leads me to think that uh, they've been impacted by these mites for quite a while and uh, you've got sick bees. The good news is Um, you've treated with oxalic acid vaporization very good I highly recommend that people do that when you're installing a package and the mites are in the dispersal phase uh, they're exposed before they start uh, developing and capping their brood Uh, so once they're under the caps the mites are protected oxalic acid vaporization does not take out mites that are under your brood caps so you did the right thing right on the money I highly recommend that you monitor the mite situation with those. Um, The good news is the queen is probably of different genetics. And so you can wait and see as she gradually lays her eggs, replaces these bees. The nurse bees uh, may be impacted also. So prime nutrition is gonna be very important for them. I don't think it's necessary to give them any other treatment. One of the things I would definitely put in this hive when you give them sugar syrup, is a one-to-one a light sugar syrup and i would add uh, hive alive syrup to that hive alive half a teaspoon per quart so the syrup get that is proven effective for a lot of things nozema and so on but it can boost the health it's one of the very few essential oil mixes that uh, has got science behind it that show that it is effective for bees that need uh, a little boost like that. So that's what I would do and then please follow up. I'll put a link down here for Hive Alive because a lot of people have been given the opportunity to give discounts on Hive Alive and uh, I'm one of those too. So I'll give you a link so you can go and get Hive Alive syrup. It's going to be very important. Follow up and let us know what's going on. The good news is those workers are likely not from that queen So your queen may still be healthy and uh, let's count on things going better. And you'll see a marked improvement. How long down the road? 21 days or more when you start to see the progeny of that queen moving around inside the hive. Question number four comes from Todd. says, Hey Fred, I want to set up a wireless camera to periodically watch my hives, two hives while I'm at work and throughout the day. I'd like to know if you have any suggestions or preferences toward any particular brand or model. I was looking at security camera models, Arlo Pro 5, but not sure if there is something better for this type of application. Let me know if you have any suggestions. Thanks. Best regards. Okay, I do have suggestions, but we have a lot to think about if you're going to put a camera where you can see your bees. So. For me, obviously, what do we have over here? Observation hives. It would be very easy, especially in the summertime, to leave the doors open, have this entire space dark, and uh, have cameras on night mode. And then the other thing is, which cameras can get close to the glass? Now, you don't have observation hives. I'm just gonna make that guess. So what would we do? And I did do testing on cameras. Arlo and the second is Blink. So these are two camera systems that I recommend for security, for observing your beehive, landing boards and things like that. Guess what comes into play when we're putting up uh, motion activated cameras? And by the way, honeybees coming out on their landing boards at night can actually activate your motion activated night cameras. Pretty interesting stuff. So they're pretty sensitive, but I did testing on the focal distance. And the focal distance from a camera means, here's the lens, how far away from the lens? does it focus on a subject? And so when we're talking about cameras for bees, for me, it's the one that gets closest that's going to win out. So I did those tests with Arlo Pro Series cameras and with the Blink cameras. Blink is run by Amazon. So the one that focused closest was actually the Blink cameras. And I'm going to link a video uh, down to this question. For those of you who are interested in that, you can look at the tests that I did, and see what the quality is, how much distortion there is and things like that. So let's move on to other considerations. So when we're looking at your beehive, where are you gonna put your camera? So if you're thinking about putting it inside the hive where you can see a face frame, that's tough. Uh, the camera has to be protected. Number one, so you can access it, pull it out, put it in without uh, bothering your bees, right? As, as little as possible. So, a camera with a long battery life, or you're going to drill a quarter inch diameter hole and you're going to run an AC adapter cord through there. Let me tell you in advance your bees are going to propolize that cord and any connections. If the honeybees have access to your camera, they're going to propolize that too. So, you have to put it behind some kind of plexiglass. Now, if you want to look straight down on top of your hive like the backboard of your frames so you want to shoot down from the top there already happens to be a clear lucite inner cover so that's already i don't i have a couple of them i have to be honest i've never used them people thought that i should be using them but i didn't want uh, that to be my inner cover because i feed my bees through the inner cover if i need to Now maybe this time of year with an established colony and you're not feeding and you have no plans to, that's fine. That's an opportunity to put a clear lucite inner cover on your hive and then you can see what's going on at least with the top box. Now you need a feeder shim on top of that, why? Because we can't just lay the camera right on the plexiglass. Here are some things to think about too. If you have your camera at a normal incident angle, I know that sounds annoying, but I mean a perpendicular straight on angle to the surface of the glass. Even the night vision cameras are emitting a light source, right? So it reflect back at you. So what you have to do is position your camera at an angle and shoot across this plexiglass surface so that there's no reflection back to the camera And so you'll be able to see the bees so they come with a a mounting bracket so whether it's the arlo cameras or whether it's the blink cameras and blink will allow you to get closer uh, they both come with brackets that you can mount to the inside wall of your feeder shim and then have your camera mounted up there as high to the top as you can so you can shoot at an angle across your area of interest the good thing about that is too you can change the angles if there's other things that you want to see That would let you check in and look straight down on them. If you want to see face frames, now you're going to have to really get creative. And uh, you might think about something like, uh, again, it's hard because if you put them in and it's a face frame, you're too close to your subject. So you almost need to give up a lot of space or create a box that attaches to the sidewall of your beehive and then you have to cut a hole, then you have to put a sheet of plexiglass there and turn that into an observation hive. What like on the hull of a ship, sometimes they'll create a cofferdam that sticks on the side of it so that now you can have an airlock and then you cut away parts of it and you do repairs on it. You can take a beehive and put your little wooden cofferdam on the side of that and inside that would be your camera and you just close that up completely and there's a plexiglass barrier between the camera and the inside of your hive And I think the bees are going to mess up that surface over time too, but uh, you're going to have to modify a hive in creative ways if you want to see the face frame. So those are just some ideas and I'm linking the video so you can look at the cameras and uh, get some thoughts going there. Uh, The other thing is and of course you can activate that uh, from your phone anywhere. You can check any of your cameras at any time and they have a range of about 300 feet. And I did not find a significant difference in the range capability of the Arlo versus the Blink cameras. Now with the Arlo, you have an option that uh, there's a spotlight feature. So if you don't mind clicking on a white light uh, because now you get full color imagery uh, because again, that angle will keep it from reflecting back. And it's just like pulling the lid off of your hive and looking at it, only you didn't. All you did was cast a light in there so that's one advantage I could see for the Arlo Pro series is they have a spotlight function that you can turn on and off with your phone app. So, and you decide what you want to record too. So you can click record or not. The motion activated capability, of course, wouldn't help you there because there has to be a barrier in front of your camera to get, uh, keep the bees off of it. So I hope that's helpful. Question number five comes from Laurel uh, Lindenhurst, Illinois. When tending hives, is it okay to use mosquito or tick repellent? I usually use a cedar oil or essential oil repellent while gardening and do not always want to go shower and change before going to the hives. Okay, pheromone repellents. That's very interesting. Uh, Here's what I suggest. Um, You'll find out right away if it's okay or not. (laughs) Because your bees will react uh, to your presence which is something I really don't want them to do at all. For me, when I go into a beehive, if they don't react to me, in other words, they ignore me and they go about their business as usual. That is exactly what I want. When I put my hands in there, I don't want them to run away from my hands. I also don't want them to attack and sting my hands if, if I'm barehanded for some reason or if I'm just wearing nitrile gloves. I don't want any pheromone to cause the bees to react to my presence. So I'm not a fan of any pheromone to repel the bees or that an insect repellent um, would have an impact on the bees. But here's what you do. You try it and you see if there's a reaction. Uh, What I like from the bees is no reaction. So some people get stung when they wear cologne or perfume or something like that to the hive. And this is often why some people, we all have our own specific pheromone. And I think sometimes the bees are reacting to the way a person smells. And uh, those are the people that just get stung for no apparent reason. But the bees smell much better than we do. And it will be interesting to see you try that out. The good news is mosquito repellents and things like that are not mosquito killers. So you're not using an insecticide, it's just a repellent. Uh, So try it out, let us know, see what happens. But just food for thought. I think it's best when you get a completely passive response from your bees. And someone may be sitting there thinking, well, what about smoke? When you put smoke on them, they react and it kind of repels them. It does, it pushes them down. But uh, the smoke, remember, is a pheromone interrupter. We're trying to get them um, to reduce their alarm pheromone reaction and to reduce them from even emitting an alarm pheromone and instead they go into flight mode, which means that now they're going to take on resources, they're going to get away from the smoke, and they are condense themselves down around brood, the queen, whatever is most valuable in the hive, and uh, they're going to consume honey in the process too, because they might lose their colony, and uh, who knows what's going on. But so smoking and the way you smell are entirely different things. Uh, for a minute here, I thought that the question was going to be, could you use that to keep bees off of your hands and things like that? And I'm curious if someone out there that's watching right now uh, would comment on their experience with something called liquid smoke. Some people rub their hands with it and it keeps the bees off of their hands. I haven't necessarily had problems with the bees going after my hands when I'm doing an inspection and sometimes I do wear gloves. And uh, the most frequent time that I get stung when I'm in the hive is because I grabbed a frame and there was a bee just under the end of it, or I put my hand on a bee. Or it's very rare that the bee rushes up, attacks and stings my hand, unless uh, I've done something really knuckleheaded and then it's an education uh, experience for me. Pain is a teacher. So that's what I suggest, but uh, try it out, see if they react at all. And uh, if you want to go straight from gardening to the bees, maybe you'll reverse that order and go from bees first, gardening second. And you can put on your insect repellent after you've left the bee yard question number six Christy from Quebec City Quebec please give an update on the use of the hive gate I found it useful in fall when yellow jackets were prevalent but I think it may be too restrictive in spring and summer also during winter mine did become clogged with dead bees a local beekeeper recommended keeping the entrance open in winter but you protect it from the wind. Also, he agreed with insulating the top. He wraps the hive with Reflectex, double bubble as well. Thoughts? Okay, so for Christy, uh, the hive gate for me, and it's true, you have to pull your hive gates out. For those of you who don't know, I'll put a link to the hive gate so you can know what we're talking about. And uh, you're right. The people that had problems with yellow jacket wasps Swear by the hive gate it keeps them out it is only a three-eighths of an inch opening uh, through the top so even large wasps can't get in and it's a natural mouse guard too Uh, as i pointed out though in a lot of winter videos we need to pull our hive gates out uh, and you pull them out to make sure that they're clear and i think that's a really good idea and uh, you need to do it fairly frequently because what do the bees do on warm days they glue it down with propolis Uh, And then your friend said to help buffer the wind, but with the hive gate in, you don't have a wind issue in your hive either. So it gives the bees better control of the interior climate of the hive. But you'd have to pull them out. For example, the one colony that I showed earlier this year that uh, suddenly, in fact, it's this observation hive right over here that's off camera. Um, They had built up their brood so much and then we had a cold snap and rain. And uh, what happened was they used all the resources up and there were piles of dead bees on the bottom. If I had a hive gate on that observation hive, which I don't, but if I did, it would have been full of dead bees. I would have had to pull it out and manually clean out that entrance. And I think for those of you who have hive gates and you're coming out of winter, or if you suspect any kind of die off or stress on your bees, and in the wintertime they can't fly out often so they do fill up the bottom of your hive sometimes with dead bodies. So when they do that, you have to pull it out and clean it. So there's maintenance uh, associated with that because otherwise your bees can be stuck. Um, So what else? That's the update. The feedback from people was really good, especially those who had problems with yellow jackets. For me here, I did not, uh, I put it intentionally on late season swarms that were small colonies that were prone to robbing. I wanted to see if it would help prevent or reduce robbing and it did. Uh, Did it slow down production of honey and things like that? It did not, but I didn't see a boost either. So in other words, uh, and you have to consider I was only testing it with half of my hives. I only had 20 hives at the time, 15 hives. I have 27 now. Um, And there wasn't a big difference up or down regarding production of honey and so on. So it did not reduce honey. It did not increase so in a significant way and again it's a small sampling that's why we depend on people from all over the country to give their feedback on it the feedback was all provided um, to better be and i don't recall if they even published the results yet so uh it was not significant for me bad or good uh, the good news was people that were accustomed to losing 30 or 40 percent of their colonies late in the year when the wasp numbers are huge, uh, did not have those losses for the colonies that had the hive gates on. So it was a big benefit for them. So that's kind of the update. Uh, There is a page on my website that I will link here, and you can see some of the video that's provided again by those who are doing research with it, and they have video capabilities inside hives so you can see what's going on with the bees, and a more detailed explanation for those of you who are interested in the hive gate, It is being sold by Better Bee here in the United States. It comes out of New Zealand. So that's it. And as far as wrapping the hive of tax, if I were up in Quebec City, Quebec, maybe that would be necessary. Keep in mind that I do incremental changes to my hives and I don't do all hives at once, uh, just so I can see if there's a difference and what the improvements are and what the differences in behavior might be. Here, in Northwest Pennsylvania, in the Snow Belt, I have not uh, needed to insulate my hives, uh, aside from, and this is key, the inner cover. So insulated inner cover, top of the hive, the side walls were not insulated. Some people are doing three wall insulations and then the south facing wall, they're not insulating. I also see no reason to remove your insulation for the summertime, uh, unless you're one of those people who's putting black material uh, some people are going way old school and still putting roof felt around your hive. That's been proven not to benefit your bees, other than as a possible windbreak. So I personally would never put uh, roof felt on it. Um, but it would if your if your hive configuration had uh, joints that were not sealed up well and things like that, and wind was blowing through. If you wrap the hive, it's going to benefit them. Uh, Reflectex uh, without an airspace, so Reflectex right up against the outside of your hive is just like adding another layer of wood. So wood is about 0.7 in the R-factor, and one layer of double bubble right up against the wood is like having another 3 quarter inch piece of wood against it. So um, some people do that, and if you see an improvement, great. And for those of you who are testing that kind of thing out, I always recommend not doing it to all of them at once so that you can see over a series of years and seasons if that's going to improve uh, your wintering. I can't here imagine improving my wintering results at all. They're already just ready to go when spring hits. Uh, My losses are very small and uh, the populations of the hives and their consumption of resources is low. So population high, resources low, healthy bees in spring. I see no reason right now to change that. And of course I have insulated and uninsulated hives and that's not because they have bubble wrap around them. They don't. Um, I'm comparing the lay hives which are insulated with sheep's wool. And then of course my long Langstroth hive which is two by four material. So it's thicker and would be the equivalent. In fact, it would have more insulation uh, than having a layer of double bubble around the outside of the hive. So if you wanna just go with thicker wood stock, I think you're actually better off. But, uh, and all the horizontal hives did extremely well, but then so did the verticals, so did the Langstrass. The uh, Apomay hives are also insulated. I believe they're an R7 and uh, therefore they have less insulation than the lay-ins hives, but I hived those up with late season swarms, and uh, I lost all of those uh, colonies through winter. In fact, those were my losses. But Appa May now, in spring, I've rehived bees in those, and they're doing very well so far. So we're gonna go through another winter. One winter, one summer, a couple of times through the seasons does not tell the whole story, so we really need uh, long-term trends. And lots of good notes, keep records. But uh, that's what's going on with the Hivegate. If you're in a high predatory area or you've got colonies that you want to keep from being robbed out in the fall, um, Hivegate has a proven track record. does that really well. Question number seven comes from Philip, Bedford, Kentucky. This is my first year of beekeeping here in Kentucky, and I have installed a package of Saskatraz bees. While doing my first inspection, I noticed that my capped brood is not as rounded as I've seen in your videos and books. It's not sunken, and I have not noticed chewed caps or discarded larvae on the landing board or in front of the hive, but it looks wrinkled almost like capped honey. I was wondering if uh, you could talk in depth on how capped brood should look and what it should look, not look like maybe with some pictures. Okay. So I've done a lot of videos that show you what brood should look like. Uh, inside the hive is one of my most popular videos that shows all the conditions brood, honey. And so you can see the differences in caps. And I'm going to put a link to that. It's very popular with educators and people that are trying to teach biology of honeybees because it shows a lot of interior configurations, uh, the resources of the bees and behavior of the bees. So it's a really good one for that. Those of you who want a ready resource, I highly recommend you have one. Now this is the old version, but this is called Honeybees and Their Maladies. And it's a book that's put out by Penn State extension.psu.edu so what it does is it's full of pictures so see I had this already ready for you it has pictures of different brood conditions that you would see and also what would be abnormal what would be some concerns so when we're looking at brood cappings it's true they can appear very flat so they don't necessarily have to be convex and the more convex of course the larger the brood that's in there So sometimes when the cells are a little shorter, we've seen this before where uh, the bees will actually be working up beeswax and uh, the queen will come along and it looks like it just got started and the queen deposits eggs all over that. And then so what has to happen now is those wax working bees have to get busy and they have to draw out the comb while those larvae are developing. So as soon as they hatch, and what day do they hatch? The third day. So they hatch out of their eggs, and now they're being fed a lot. So also, while they're being fed, the cells are being drawn out. So sometimes when cells are shorter, uh, they end up with this real convex cap. Aside from that, whenever you have uh, drone brood, those also get pretty, pretty convex cappings too. But so shorter cells uh, need a bigger cap to accommodate the pupa that are going to develop in there. Uh, and the deeper cells don't need that so they're often when they're full depth like they're supposed to be then you'll see nice flat cinnamon colored uh, caps on them so there's no rule you are right that we should be concerned if they look concave so if they're sunken in or they look a little greasy or there's little tiny perforations in it and things like that those are indicators that you should be taking a really close look at those cells and keep an eye on your brood to see what's going on because you could end up with a brood disease but if they're flush or slightly convex or greatly convex you're probably okay and you're right to look for uncapping sometimes your bees, hygienic stock will chew open the caps of your larva that uh, would have destructor mites in it and by introducing air like that and uncapping they uh, kill the mites and take away their ability to reproduce and then they recap it sometimes. So that's interesting too, but I highly recommend every beekeeper, especially when you're just starting out, but I, I think it's helpful. Helpful for me more so when I get a question and I can sit here and I could explain it, but uh, it's so much easier for me to just pull this book off the shelf and I have a bunch of these and that's why so I can hand them out and everybody goes to page 63 or whatever, and then you will see pests of your bees so what do we find in those trays when we pull it out what do we suspect is going on in that hive this is a very complete book for as small as it is there's a new version that has a green cover uh, that dr robin underwood um, was responsible for getting uh, out at penn state so if you go to that website you'll find the current version and of course i get nothing for recommending that to you So don't worry, I think everything is fine. I think you're on it. Question number eight, this comes from Michelle from Troy, Mississippi, or is it Michigan? Oh man, I don't even know. MS is Mississippi and MI is Michigan. Maybe it's Michigan. So anyway, Fred, my bees must not be listening to your podcasts. Bees don't have ears. Okay, kidding aside. Instead of moving down to the deep box with drawn comb, they remain in the top two mediums and are backfilling them. I only have one entrance on the bottom. Is it still too cold for me to expect them to start down? Or should I put the deep box on top as I see others do? Many folks say bees move up and not down. With all the bag filling, I figured a swarm might be imminent, So I found the queen and split the hive. And I did have swarm cells almost finished. Thanks. Okay, so there's some things that I want to talk about here. It says two mediums. So that's not my winter configuration. My winter configuration is one medium box deep, one deep, and one medium on top of that. The medium is full of honey at a minimum going into winter. Everything above that comes off before you ever go into winter. So they're condensed down. This is very important. It helps them control the climate. They have an insulated inner cover directly above them. And then they're going to use those resources and it's sized right for the cluster of bees. In some cases, my bees are wintering in just a single deep late season swarms, for example. So when we have two mediums up there, yeah, they're still in the process of of moving down. These have moved down. All of my observations hives have moved down. Um, And the single entrance is key. The other thing that we want to think about is how big is the entrance? So what size entrance do I recommend? Three-eighths of an inch high by three inches wide or even narrower than that. So 3 eighths of an inch high, 3 inches wide, Uh, rodents can't get in there. So even the famous pygmy shrew can't fit through that. So you don't need a queen excluder when it's set up like that. The other thing is keeping that entrance small means they have to move their brood down towards it. So you had that right. And so they do move their brood down to where that uh, fresh air is coming in. So the other thing is you can get them to move down more. We found that the slatted rack spacer, which is two inches. So you have the bottom board, a two inch slatted rack, which has a solid piece of wood in the front of it that prevents drafts from going up. Then you have your deep box on top of that uh, that has proven to get your queen to work down closer than uh, to the bottoms of her frames and make full use of all of those deep frames so for me the maximum size langstroth box going into winter is a single deep and a single medium on top of it and i don't rotate those boxes and as mentioned here no top entrance no upper venting but upper entrance and upper venting may be necessary if you have an oversized hive for your bees so if there's a lot of honey well up above your bees going into winter and uh, they don't make use of it all, and they don't occupy the space adequately, there'll be condensation up there, even if you have an insulated inner cover on because the hive is sized too large. The other thing is we don't worry about swarming, I don't. If they build up and they're going to swarm, that's an opportunity to split it, it refreshes your colony, it can become a part of integrated pest management. If the colony is really strong in spring and their numbers are way up, and you do a split, you can still get a decent honey crop off of them depending on where you are. So knowing whether you're gonna have a dearth, knowing whether you're gonna have a lot of resources, and a lot of this depends on the weather. And this year, let's face it, the weather's been wonky. This morning we had a hard frost. This morning, hard frost, that is ridiculous because historically this is the weekend for planting, for putting all your stuff out uh, here in Pennsylvania but we had uh, 29 degrees Fahrenheit today and frost all over everything. So yeah, it's touch and go. And we had a mild winter, but we're getting this weird drawn out cold and warm spring. So as far as, is it still too cold there? That's a regional thing. And uh, you could wait them out and they would, you said they're backfilling. So they will ultimately backfill and push themselves down. But then you also said they're reproducing. So in other words, you're going to create a swarm, and you saved them. Good call there. And by collecting your queen, you did split them up. But I can say this, uh, all of the hives here that I've had configured with a deep and a medium, and uh, we had a couple over here that we walked through a couple of hives to show inside, and the brood was all down where it should be. So at least where I am, that configuration is working, but as you say, Uh, the bees may not be listening to the podcast and bees don't always do what we expect them to, but we can increase the percentage of bees that do what we expect them to by following those really basic configuration setups. So having the extra medium super on may have been what kept them up in that middle box, for example, instead of bringing them down to the bottom box and the size of the entrance should be visited. Maybe you already have a small entrance, but that might be another thing that you can look at. So that's it for today. That was question number eight. So now let's talk about the fluff plan of the week. So a lot of people it's all over. If you're on social media, if you're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, whatever, everybody is sharing swarm stories swarms are just all over the place. So I just want to remind you that, uh, when a swarm shows up, you're going to be hyping it hopefully. And when you do, if it's a small swarm, especially after swarms, which sometimes may have virgin queens with them, when you put those in a small box, and I hope you do put them in a small box, like a nucleus hive, deep frames, uh, we need to be able to put sugar syrup on there to keep them and give them the resources they need to really get going, particularly with the small ones. These giant mammoth swarms that people are showing pictures of that take up you know, half your garage uh, those don't need any feeding. They have all the resources they need and we need them to go out there and they'll, they'll be great comb builders and everything else. So you can make good use of those. Uh, the concern comes in when we have a small swarm that some people may even think, eh, I don't even want to hive them. I think it's fun, personally, if you have nucleus hives, the wooden ones, the are really well-made ones. Nucleus hives made up and ready to go. And then of course, put an inner cover on it and a uh, second deep so they can house your feeder and uh, hopefully this coming week i'll be able to make a video showing you exactly how i configure that and my preferred feeder on top of a nucleus hive when you're setting it up Uh, if it's an apame they have feeders built into them you're covered if it's the wooden hive that we're using for nukes we put that inner cover on there Uh, the bee buffet is a perfect feeder to sit on top of there and then of course you put another deep box around it and then that uh, migratory cover, insulated cover, whatever you're putting on this time of year is not that critical. But having everything mixed and ready to go. So we don't want our sugar syrup to spoil. So if you're mixing up gallons of it and you have it sitting on a shelf and you have your spray bottle, because I use that too when I'm shaking a swarm into a butterfly net, uh, you want to have yourself all mixed up so that you can ready to load, you just load and go. And you can add Honey Bee Healthy or Pro Health or one of the other essential oils in it that extends the shelf life of your sugar syrup so it doesn't actually end up getting that black mold in there. And that will last you all summer. So, uh, and it's a light syrup. One to one or even a little bit thinner has proven to benefit your bees. So we want to reinforce them because these small clusters, they can't do foraging and everything else. Plus what happens if it starts raining and they can't get out. uh, We want to at least provide them with the energy they need to keep warm because they're going to be building brood. So what else? All dead outs by now, all of you should have any dead outs you have cleaned out. And uh, after you clean them all out really good, you can spritz down all the surfaces with 10% bleach solution and just let it air dry out. That will keep uh, your wax worms and wax moths from laying eggs on your frames and stuff and uh we'll just kill any surface bacteria that might be there and it'll smell like a swimming pool towel but who cares the bees don't care so have that stuff staged ready to go so you're not running around grabbing frames and things like that also and that's good for because look what just happened you're doing an inspection you find out they have queen cells and here's the queen if you have all your stuff ready to go you can grab the queen and you can pull her frame and you can temporarily hold her in What do you think my recommended temporary holding container would be while you get your box set up and everything the hive butler hive butler totes with the screen top you can pull frames of brood with the queen on them and put them right in there create your split leave the queen cells that you found in the parent hive and then now you have time and they're set apart you don't have to worry about them swarming on you and then you can set up your nucleus box and your nucleus hive and if you don't need them do it for somebody else Also, this is a great time of year because so many swarms are happening. You need to walk around and look at the landing boards, particularly around uh, anywhere between 11 a.m., 10.30 a.m. and two to three in the afternoon. You get a really good feeling for what's going on in the hive. Is it business as usual or is there something happening? So you need to know if your hives have swarmed or if they're making preparations to swarm or uh, robbing is not that big a deal at this time of year. We're at the end of dandelions and the next big nectar flow for us here all the apple trees which just got slammed with a frost apple trees pear trees crab trees um, i think their blossoms are at the end so what's the big next uh, nectar flow going to be it's going to be clover for me here so the clover later will start to grow and those blossoms will come out and that leads us into another nectar flow which in the onset of that round two of potential swarming. So, we also need to be paying attention to the colonies that are filling up so we can super those hives to make sure they have the space, unless you don't mind them swarming. If you're following um, Dr. Thomas Seeley's uh, Darwinian beekeeping practices and you want to keep your hives small and you want to let them go through several generations of reproduction uh, as a colony through the year, then uh, you might get a couple of swarms out of one colony and then go into winter with a fresh queen. You also risk, uh, when you allow them to swarm like that, you risk uh, not having a fertile queen in there, which means you have to pay attention. So, following the landing boards, paying attention to that, seeing when they requeen, seeing when they're queenless, cursory inspections to see if there are eggs present and there should be in all hives this time of year, unless there's been a swarm. And if there has been, you'll notice because you'll see uh, dismantled queen cells, for example, or if they're still capped, then it's about to happen. So, in other words, the queen probably just left and the new ones are about to emerge from their queen cells. So, lots going on, landing board inspections. And if you want to know what you're looking at, and for the most obvious thing, someone alluded to that earlier, look at early morning landing boards too to see if they're dragging out potentially diseased pupa. Seeing if they've got a varroa mite problem. So, this is also varroa mite counting time some of you who want to treat for mites um, will be uh, doing that before you put your honey supers on so mite treatments needs to happen they need to happen fast if that's what you're going to do so what else and there's a video out we had really good luck this week uh, putting a queen excluder on the entrance of a brand new flow hive and uh, hiving it, they were very unsettled and it looked like they were going to leave. So I made a split decision and went and got the queen excluder that covers the entrance. I put it on there and within two days they were bringing in resources instead of making preparations for leaving. So it's a great way to kind of tie them over if you choose to do that and uh, put a queen excluder on the entrance. Look for that video just you know a few days ago And uh, it will show you how that worked out and also what the behaviors are that you're looking at. Again, landing board observations. But when you hive a swarm, we all want to keep our swarms. You climbed up a ladder, you went somewhere and got them. Whatever you did, it would be really nice if the swarm, once they're in your hive, if they stuck around. How many times have you hived a swarm only to go out the next day and find that hive completely empty? It happens. So it's a judgment call. There is a way to keep them, if you've got the queen and you don't want to pick through them and find the queen, you can just put a queen excluder over the entrance of the hive and then that will keep the queen from leaving and therefore the swarm goes nowhere without the queen. So then they settle in, they start bringing in resources, and once they've taken up residence, then you can remove that entrance and save it for another hive on another day, if you want to do it. But I'm here to tell you, it worked like a charm, it was fantastic. The other thing is, for these tiny after swarms that you find on branches and stuff, get yourself a really good butterfly net and replace the butterfly net material with cloth that's just like a pillowcase. And uh, you'll have a little net that you can telescope out. and You can look for them on Amazon and other places. I look for professional nets. Uh, because these are butterfly nets, most of them are not heavy built. In other words, they're not ready for five pounds of bees. Uh, so I've bent a couple of them up pretty good. So the other thing is you can look for bass fishing nets and things like that. They're both sturdier because they're made to handle 5, 6, 7, 10, 20 pounds of fish. And then when you get those, now you can line that with a pillowcase. So you can actually leave the net. I used to say cut the net off, use it as a pattern, put a new one on. But you can actually get like a king size pillow pillow pillowcase. Is there a king size pillow? get the biggest cotton pillowcase you can find, leave the net intact, stuff the pillowcase inside of it, blast it over the edges of the rim there, and then you can hand stitch that or whatever you want to do to keep it in there. But now you've got a reinforced pillowcase and you use that for medium swarms. It works really well. You spray them with sugar syrup, you shake them into the net, and you walk away. It is so easy then you shake them out of your net into the hive box that you want them to go in half of them go in then you put the net up against the front lean it on the entrance and i've done this more times than i can count and they come out of the net and they go right inside the hive because they want to take up residence plus you've taken them from one place and delivered them to another so cotton nets are very easy works really great so i want to thank you for being here with me today and i hope that you leave comments down below if uh, you've got observations things that are going on or if you want to post questions yourself go to my website thewaytobe.org and you click on the page titled the way to be all the pages are in the left hand margin and you go down there there's lots of resources for you so i hope you learned something today and i want to thank you for spending your time here and i hope You have a fantastic and safe Memorial Day weekend. Thanks for watching.